When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome into a very special edition of the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn State Health. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith here with Daniel Gallen. Daniel, am I allowed to say our final episode together. Am I allowed to say that? You're you're allowed to say that and uh the I'm not going far though. You'll learn more about that next week, but uh yeah, this is this is it. It's uh been been quite a run here uh, on the blue white breakdown. And you've been you've been on with it with everybody at various points of time. You're you you've been omnipresent on the Penn State beat for us and hopefully you know, what we just did doesn't overshadow what we're about to talk about with heartbreak. You know, people listening to this who have grown attached to, to you specifically, but to you and me, you know, hopefully they're able to get past that and hear what we have to say as we look back on the past couple of days in Penn State football and look ahead just a little bit to, uh, blue white on Saturday. No surprise, by the way, this week, we talked about it on last week's edition, uh, just what to expect from Saturday's game. James Franklin had been alluding to a format change based on necessity with lack of depth, specifically on the offensive line. And this week, he explained a little bit more about what to expect. And it's going to be some live, some practice elements, but they are expecting, you know, a game day style crowd there. So uh, not a huge surprise. Yeah, last night James Franklin said it's going to be offense versus defense. They're not going to split it up into like ones versus twos or, or anything like that. It's just going to be pretty straightforward mix of live periods, mix of thud periods. Um, James Franklin kind of explained it as that they've got players who are cleared to go live. They have players who are cleared to go thud, but not live. So this will still give everyone an opportunity to get as much work in as they need while also kind of playing to the crowd a little bit, giving the fans what they're there for, to see some live action as close to game action as we're going to get in Beaver Stadium until September. First time we've seen anything like this in the stadium since November. So I think that James Franklin knows kind of, he's a showman, he he knows what he's doing, and I think that he'll give uh, the fans kind of what they want, um, at least for a little bit on Saturday afternoon. He did say he did say that he hasn't figured out the scoring system yet. And these are always pretty fun. I saw Ohio State's floating around last week where anytime you go offense versus defense, you got to get a little creative. And uh, I'll be interested to see what they come up with. And I assume that we'll end up with like a final score, like 26-22 or something like that on Saturday. Yeah, the, the scoring system is, is fun. It's, uh, it can be different every year if you, if you want it to be. Uh, and everything kind of needs a change, but I said it last week and I'll say it again. Like I, I think 
all this will be plenty for most Penn State fans. You know, I think most people who are who are going to come to this thing, which, you know, they say 60,000 plus each year, pretty much. They just want to crack open a few uh, cold ones. They want to see and experience and feel like they're in, you know, Beaver Stadium and they're taking in Penn State football and they're able to kind of um, bridge the gap between November and the following August or September. And I think I think this will check the boxes for for most of them. What are you looking to see, you know, with the understanding that this isn't going to be a, a live game? Uh, you're going to see some practice type reps. Like, who are you looking forward to checking out? And what are you looking to, to take away from this game and, and the format of it? Yeah, I think a big thing that I want to get out of Saturday is just kind of having different points of reference, uh, like seeing Nick Singleton running to the corner with Curtis Jacobs in pursuit. We know what we have in Curtis Jacobs and with Nick Singleton, it's mostly kind of only what we've heard. And we've seen a little bit in individual drills. And um, I think Nick Tarburton talked about Singleton made a great play to get an 80-yard run recently in practice. But we'll actually be able to kind of see what it actually looks like. Like, can Nick Singleton get to the corner against uh, a Division One defensive line, Division One linebackers? You know, what the ball looks like coming out of Drew Aller's hands, Bo Perbula's hands. Um, what Christian Veyu kind of looks like demeanor wise uh, in a situation like this, because that's something I'm really interested in that we've heard a lot about how he's the calm, cool, collected one. And now that we actually know things about him, we've actually kind of seen him and you can pay a little bit more attention to, to those kinds of nuances. So um, I think with like the defense and the offense, it's mostly what it looks like going against each other and kind of just a lot of eye test stuff. Like, do the guys that are unknowns to us, how do they compare to the guys who are knowns to us? How we can use that point of reference moving forward. And I think that's the perfect way to try to look at it. You get some taste of game speed. What does that look like? Can you see somebody's feet? Can you see somebody's strength? You know, what are you looking at from an offensive line perspective? It's always, t- you know, you, you you don't want to draw any kind of hard conclusions off of something like this. But at the same time, I think it's, I don't think it's unfair to get concerned if that group or if they if they're able to kind of put together mostly most of what James Franklin called as five first team guys, if that group were to say get torched over and over again or if that group were to be dominant, I think you can still glean something from that. Yeah, I, I think it just kind of goes back to the to more kind of individuals uh, than I think the actual cohesive core, because as James Franklin alluded to last night, a lot of guys have been in and out. Um, I think he said that Caden Wallace, G. Scruggs and Olu Fashanu are the only guys that have really made it through all of spring. So they've gotten a ton of reps. And that's something you really like to hear, especially for Fashanu and his you know, going into the year as kind of the presumptive starter at left tackle, knowing that he's gotten all of these reps. So I'll mostly be looking at the individuals because this is the first time we've seen seen these guys in a while. And Caden Wallace is really the only guy that's in the same spot that he was last year. Obviously, there were some mixed results there, but we haven't seen Juice Scruggs extensively at center. We've only seen one game of Olu Fashanu at left tackle. Landon Tangwall was just kind of cameos last year. And Salim Wormley is just kind of an unknown to us um, as as a player. So I'll be looking a little bit more kind of the individual. If there's a lot of guys in the in the backfield uh, chasing Sean Clifford or Christian Veyu or one of the freshmen, I don't think I'll think too, too much about it. 
But if there's one person who, like if Adisa Isaac is turning someone into a turnstile, then that's something that just kind of file it away for later and think about what's coming in as reinforcements and, and what kind of changes might be able to ma- be made uh, down the stretch. Uh, I want to skip ahead. Speaking of Caden Wallace, you know, and, and looking at the the teamwork aspect of it, it's the it's always the great unknown. It's always kind of a make or break point with you know offensive lines is how you're able to work. You know, five guys becoming one solid unit and communicating well. He talked a little bit about Sal Wormley um, on Wednesday. Uh, also talked about depth, which we'll touch on in, in a moment, but. You know, what he said about Sal Wormley didn't seem like finding a reason to, to talk up his teammate. You know, like obviously if you ask Caden Wallace about anybody, he's going to scramble to say something positive. And I felt like looking at what Caden Wallace had to say on Wednesday, he was more genuinely positive about Sal Wormley than he was about Olu Fushanu, for example. And that's not to say that he was negative, you know, by any means, but, uh, what he said about Warmly, you know, use the word hard nose and technical, but he seemed to indicate that they communicate and work well together. And I think, you know, you never know as, as a casual fan, you know, what exactly you're looking at. And if, if there's problems on the right side of that line, is it Caden Wallace as an individual? Is it the protection call? Is it how he's working with Mike Miranda? There's a lot of nuance to this and the indication to make a, short story a little bit longer, I guess the indication is that maybe these two guys are pretty good group on that right side. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're roommates. If I, if I was listening correctly yesterday, so you've got the bond that kind of goes beyond the field. Um, obviously that, that helps a little bit sometimes. Um, but yeah, I thought that that, that was really interesting because penciling in Landon Tangwall at left guard, isn't really a surprise to anyone. That's not really something that I think that's kind of expected. Um, but when you look at right guard with, with Salim Wormley, he missed all last year with an injury. You've got Hunter Norzad coming in um, who could move to the interior. There's a lot more uncertainty there. You know, if you hear, okay, Salim Wormley's the, the day one starter at right guard, you're kind of like, all right, like let, let's see how this goes. Whereas when you hear Landon Tangwall starter at left guard, it's like, all right, the future is here. Let's go. Let let's do this. Um, so I think it will be. I think that is a good endorsement for Wormley to have from Caden Wallace, um, and the fact that he's talking up their communication and kind of their ability to really be on the ball when it comes to double teams. I mean, I think that's something that's only good. Um, and I'll be curious to see kind of what that looks like the little bit that we'll probably be able to see uh, on Saturday. Uh, the other thing he touched on, and I'm, I'm curious if you're buying uh, the lack of depth as a positive uh, saying, Hey, you know, like we can't control that. Um, but what happens is we get more meaningful reps and we get more practice time. Uh, are, are you subscribing to the idea that the lack of depth can be a good thing for the healthy scholarship guys, particularly the starters who aren't having to maybe share as many reps? I mean, the, the kind of the, the glib or like the flip answers to just be like, well, I mean, we saw them last year and it looked like they needed more reps. But, um, I mean, I think that it's good, especially when you look at where these guys are in their careers. Um, Juice Scruggs moving to center full time. Olu Fashanu really getting to be a full time starter at left tackle now. I mean, he had to sit behind Rashid Walker and Rashid Walker is someone who is obviously really not moving from that position unless it was going to be because of injury. So um, I think that it's good. It's one of those things where if, if everyone makes it out of 
practice healthy, it's great. Uh, if someone were to get hurt seriously, then, you know, you can be like, oh, well, it wasn't good. They had to take so many reps. I mean, I think that that's kind of the the good way to look at it. And I think as a player, I mean, that's really the only way to look at it. It, it contrasts pretty interestingly with James Franklin, um, who, you know, really brought it up uh, most chances he could get. Um, like, hey, like, we're dealing with this. We're dealing with this. Um, but to kind of have a, a player be like, yeah, like, we're dealing with this, but we're, we're making it into something good. We're not just kind of, Oh, we have to do so much more now. Oh, we have to do so much more now. So, I mean, I thought that it was kind of good perspective on it and there's really no right answer to, to that question, but that was kind of the, the best answer that, that he could give. It's something that this fall, if Olu Fashanu comes out and is, you know, a brick wall over there, then you're going to hear, well, I got all those reps in spring ball. Uh, and it, it really helped accelerate where I am now. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. One other thing, because it kind of goes along with this, I didn't jot this down in in the outline we have, but um, Caden Wallace did talk about just the emphasis on the run game and run blocking. And everybody's saying the right things as far as this goes that we're really focused on it we're working hard on it we're going to see progress we're going to break through you know there's no way around really needing to wait until the fall to see if all this is true and that that it's effective but what do you make on on the ongoing emphasis you know and i you know in my personal take is the emphasis doesn't mean much if the performance is still the same. Like, I'm sure they emphasized it last spring. I'm sure they emphasized it last summer. But at the end of the day, the combination of players up front and in the backfield, uh, maybe the quarterback, whatever, you know, it wasn't good enough. Um, so I, I th- you know, I personally believe, and maybe this is the glib or cynical uh, response to this too, is like, it's great you're emphasizing it. It's great that you're focused on it. Now, what's changed about how you can execute it? And you can point to some obvious things that have changed since last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great if you're emphasizing it, but if you're emphasizing th- something that's bad, then that's kind of counterproductive um, with where we are. But I mean, Kevon Lee talked about it earlier this week in terms of uh, in terms of the, the emphasis that's been happening. Um, I mean, he was pretty strong in saying how much they're running the ball this spring and how much they're looking at it. I mean, he was like, we're running the ball on first and 10. We're running the ball on third and 10. We're running the ball on fourth and two. I mean, running on third and 10 makes you raise your eyebrows just a little bit. But it does seem like something that they're really... I guess, trying to figure out. And James Franklin is always very, very quick to kind of uh, disperse. I don't want to say the blame, but like, you know, disperse the causes of the problems and and really emphasize that it's a, a it's been a, t- a total system issue, that it's not just the offensive line, not just the running backs, not just the tight ends, not just the wide receivers. I guess we'll see. I mean, it's it is one of those things where in the live periods, you're going to have to be watching really, really closely to see to see if the push is there, to see which of these running backs have juice to to make up for, 
you know, any shortcomings by the offensive line, if the offensive line is is helping guys that maybe aren't as explosive pick up some extra yardage. It will be interesting to see maybe what is different outside of just personnel. We don't see too, too much in practice. And obviously the no one wants to hear, well, like we'll see in September, but I think that kind of the the proof will be uh, in in what we see in September. When I mean, they seem excited about it, but it's you're putting a lot of trust in them based on on how this unit looked last year. The, the other part of it is um, the idea of tone setting and setting this tone now can be meaningful. Like I think, as an offensive line, I don't think there's anything that that can build more confidence and momentum than really getting going in the run game, getting downhill, getting a push off the line of scrimmage, pancaking guys. So if they can set the tone and they can set that tone early in the season, I do believe that you know the work that they're putting in now can make a difference. One other area, uh, Terry Smith, we heard from him this week. And, you know, one of the interesting things that stood out to me was he was talking, I believe, specifically about the newcomers who um, are arriving in the defensive backfield and said he expects two to three of those guys to play this season. That group includes guys who aren't on campus yet, Tyrese Mills, KJ Winston, Makai Flowers, Christian Driver, those guys. That's a pretty uh, robust number, I think, if you're looking at true newcomers, freshmen, as well as Tyrese Mills. Um, but if you view, view Mills as automatic, uh, then you're looking at maybe one to two of these freshmen playing a role. Yeah, I think that it, it does seem like a lot when you talk about two to three newcomers and, and don't forget about Cam Miller, either the, the four star cornerback from Jacksonville. Like James Franklin has said that he wants to go six deep at safety. And right now they're at four. Uh, Zaki Wheatley really seems like to have, have locked down a spot, at least on the two deep or three deep. I don't think he's someone who's going to be just relegated to special teams this year. So when you do that, you've got four guys at safety. Um, at cornerback, you have a lot, <laughs> a lot to work with. And so Tyrese Mills gets in there. Uh, that brings your safeties to five. One of those other three guys can get you to six. Um, and then if Cam Miller or one of the uh, other safeties can can do some things at corner, then you're getting contributions from from three of your, your five newcomers uh, in the defensive backfield. So I think it will be interesting to see kind of how those guys get up to speed. Zane Durant was the only early enrollee on defense this year. You know, they've talked a lot about trying to get like deny Dennis Sutton up to speed for when he gets here. I have a story coming out Thursday afternoon about Keon Wiley at linebacker and how he's been doing everything he can to, to be able to contribute early. So uh, it will be interesting to see how that defensive backfield shakes out because there's a lot of pieces there and it seems like that they're going to be able to do a lot of different things with their personnel. One other thing Terry Smith can do, maybe more than any other assistant, certainly, is explain things in a way that that kind of make you go, hmm, you know, help you learn a little bit more about mindset, mentality, whatever. And one of the th- the areas that he talked about was, you know, really evaluating what you have and basing how many you play off of that. And it's not rocket science per se, but it it did sort of have me thinking about this in a little different way. It's not saying, hey, we got to have five. Hey, we got to have six. It's like, okay, you know, if we have four good ones, we're going to have to work with that. But if we have a fifth one or a sixth one, then we find a way to get them involved. It's really just kind of that marriage of personnel versus what you desire from your numbers. 
Yeah, I, I think something that I've kind of picked up on maybe reading between the lines a little bit is when you look at the transition from Brent Pry to Manny Diaz, I think there's going to be a little bit more flexibility in how things are done uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Terry Smith talked about it seems like Manny Diaz's goal is to get the best 11 out there. And obviously that's something that you hear a lot. Um, you know, you, you always hear that, oh, we want to get our, our best however many. And it's one of those things where like in in a sport like basketball, it's easier just to throw your best five out there. But in football where the positions are so specialized that it, it can be a little bit harder to, to pull that off. But um, I did think it was interesting to hear that from Terry Smith. And he talked a little bit about getting some dime packages together. We did not see much dime last year uh, from from Penn State. So it's going to be interesting to see how this defense changes because Brent Pry was really good at what he did and his defense got re- so got good results for so long. But at the same time, it was very much like, this is what this linebacker does. This is what this linebacker does. This is what this player does. Whereas I think with Manny Diaz, it seems like there's going to be a little bit more there might be a little bit more room to operate. Like maybe the nickel corner and the Sam linebacker will be on the field at the same time, um, which was something that felt like felt like it never happened last year, the way that they, that Brent Pry kind of shuttled guys back and forth. So I'm really interested to see that. And Terry Smith kind of brought up too, that I think last year, the way that the cornerback depth chart shook out was, I think he called it, un- I forget if he called it unusual or what, but I mean, it was pretty clear that Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields were were the top two guys from start to finish. And the fact that Daquan Hardy really took ownership of the nickel role, there almost really wasn't that much room to rotate guys through. I mean, they would try it like you'd see drives with Johnny Dixon and Kalen King on the outside. Tariq Castro Fields was playing through something down the stretch. And so you saw a little bit more Kalen King there. But I mean, it was pretty much Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castro Fields and Daquan Hardy. Uh, for most of the season. And it seems like the fact that Kalen King is further along, John and Johnny Dixon is further along. Marquise Wilson is going to be a full-time corner now after splitting time last year. It seems like there will be more opportunities for the cornerbacks to rotate. It's, and it's a good group, you know, and I think uh, uh, having the depth that he's looking for there, I mean, uh, with Daquan Hardy at the nickel, I mean, that's that's going to be a strength once again, even though you're losing Tariq Castro-Fields. Shifting gears, one final thing, um, the, the next uh, next event up on the recruiting calendar looks like a Penn State commit is probably coming in uh, here on Friday. Yeah, Roman Catholic edge rusher Jameel Lyons is set to announce at 1 p.m. Friday, April 22nd. He was originally scheduled to announce August 4th, um, which was his mom's birthday. Um, he was uh, has been on campus a couple times this month, and anytime someone is on campus and then suddenly the plans change, uh, it, it causes you to raise your eyebrows a little bit. Uh, Penn State is in his top five. Um, that I don't have it right in front of me, but I think Illinois is in there, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, and a fourth school that I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. Um, but yeah, 6'4", 245, three-star in the composite, four-star in both the house rankings for on three and 24-7. So I think that he's a guy that, that people are excited about. Um, he plays at Roman Catholic, which has been kind of overhauled its football program in, in the past couple of years and 
is starting to to be on the rise. Like Tysier Denmark is one of the best players in the class of 2024. And obviously Penn State had a lot of success with players from Philadelphia on the defensive side of the ball in the class of 2022. And it seems like this is going to be something that they'll be able to spin forward into the class of 2023. So that's uh, 1 p.m. Friday. We'll see. I mean, it's all a lot of signs seem to be pointing towards Penn State getting its 10th commit uh, in the class of 2023 and uh, their second true defensive commit uh, in the class. For whatever it's worth, they lost a commitment from Neo Avery, who was a defensive end. Look like they're in good position to replace that and get that position back on the board there. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that on Friday afternoon as Daniel Gallon here on the Blue White Breakdown riding off into the glorious sunset ahead. Make sure you follow Daniel through all of it going forward um, through the rest of the offseason at Daniel JT Gallon. And be sure to follow along with everything we do here at PennLive, PennLive.com slash Penn State Football, as well as on the Blue White Breakdown, which can be found pretty much everywhere podcasts can be found. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by PennLive. Live.